Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The word of the Lord. John 14, 12 through 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in your Son. And the Son, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, as we come now to your word, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, Jesus just mentioned that, um, that the Spirit of Truth would... Um, be very active in our minds and in our hearts, granting us to see and to recognize your truth. We ask that you would teach us, uh, and that you would teach us in a way that where um, the result is, uh, not only that would we understand you clearly, we do ask for that, but we also ask that we might know you more deeply through this, through your word. By your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> um, I always enjoy um, membership Sundays uh, in, you know, receiving new members for all kinds of reasons. Um, one of the primary reasons that I, I get excited about it uh, is, is not just, you know, that it has to do with the organization or something like that. That's, that's boring. Church membership is exciting because... It's a group of people, uh, 
pursuing a mission together. And it's the mission that is exciting. And therefore, whenever you see a group of people joining in with that mission, it, it's just, it's riveting. It's, it's really, really exciting. Um, some of you know that I'm a little ambivalent about the word membership. We kind of use it because of convention. But my preferred word is partnership. The reason I prefer the word partner, partnership, is that partners work together toward a common goal. There's a movement implied in the word. And, and here at Emmanuel, we don't want to just be a kind of religious organization or a club that you are a member of. Rather, we want to be, Lord, please make us to be a team of Jesus followers who are partnering together, pursuing Jesus' goal and Jesus' mission. Um, but as soon as I say that, it brings up a question, uh, kind of an obvious question. Where is it that Jesus wants to take us? What's the goal? What's the mission? What is it that Jesus wants for us? What does he want us to pursue? And that's an important question for all kinds of people. It's an important question for uh, new members, partners with Emmanuel. Um, it's important that we all know where we're heading. It's also important for those of us who are just kind of trying to figure out whether or not Jesus is a good idea. Uh, because if you're trying to figure out, is Jesus uh, who Jesus says he is, is this whole Christianity thing a good idea? One of the things <clears throat> excuse me, that you need to know is uh, where does the path lead that you're thinking about getting on? Now, there's a lot of different ways uh, to answer that question, where is it that Jesus wants to take us? But our passage today is crucial for understanding it. Um, we're continuing a series in the Gospel of John, and we're in a portion of the Gospel of John, this story of Jesus' life. We're at a critical part of John's story of Jesus' life, because where we're at is, um, this is Jesus and his disciples, this last reading, keep your eye on it. Jesus and his disciples uh, are having dinner together. It's a private conversation, and Jesus knows that he's hours away from being arrested put on trial, and put to death. Jesus knows that that's coming. Judas has already left the room to go and begin arranging the whole uh, setup. So Jesus doesn't have time to mess around. He doesn't have time to talk about anything that isn't crucially important for the disciples and for the church that's going to come from them. And in this reading, Jesus gives us a wonderful insight into his high priority for the Christian life and for this church and for every one of us. Let me show you. Look at verse 23. Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our, here it is, here it is, make our home with him. Here's Jesus, hours before his death, and he's looking at his disciples, and he says, you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about your home life. And in particular, that's odd. He, what he wants for the disciples and for you and I, he wants us to enjoy Jesus' own home life, his own family life with his father. Now, I don't know if that's what you expect Jesus to be talking about just hours before his death, but for Jesus, it's crucial. And it's crucial for us as well. Here's why. 
if we understand why Jesus cares so much about us enjoying his home life, us, this image of being at home with God the Father and with Jesus, when we understand that, we'll understand the deepest motivation for everything in the Christian life. Everything? Deepest motivation? You sure? Let me show you. Do you believe me? No? Fine. I'm going to show you. Look at it again. Um, if anyone loves me, verse 23, and keeps my word, my father will love him. We will come and make our home with him. Two questions. Why is Jesus talking about God's home? Number two, why is it such a mo powerful motivation for the Christian life? Okay. Backstory. Okay, back up, uh, fill in the backstory, then we'll come back to the text. I want you to imagine that the whole story of the Bible is laid out in front of you, uh, like a timeline. You may be familiar with this big story of the Bible. You may not have a clue about the big story of the Bible. That's fine. But just imagine a very long timeline is laid out in front of you. And it starts over here with uh, the beginning of the world. Beginning of the universe. And it ends way at the other side with the end of the world, the end of history. And then imagine that you could read, you, you had a lot of time, you, you, you could read the whole storyline. And, and, and what you find as you go along the storyline is that there's lots of different stories and twists and turns, and it's remarkable. Um, however, as you read, all of a sudden you realize that there's one theme that you're noticing that sort of gathers up all the other themes. There's one theme that stands out, and it's not the theme that you were expecting. Here's the theme that you see. The theme is, God is making humanity a home and calling us into it. Is that the theme you expect to see? Let me explain a little bit more. The theme is not just that God is making a residence for us. Um, uh, here in New York, most of us uh, rent apartments um, with difficulty. Um, and, and typically, they're, they're residences. What I mean by that is that um, they're usually kind of temporary, temporary when you're renting. Even if they, you rent for a long time, you're never quite sure it's going to be forever. Um, and also, it's always based on a transaction. Um, you pay, boy, don't we? And, and, and then the landlord says, okay, yeah, you can stay another month. It's a residence. But this, this, this theme of home in the big story of the Bible is different. The theme of home, it implies a deep connection of love and relationship. So if you look at the big story of the Bible, God created the whole world, Genesis 1 and 2, to be a home for us. A home where God could live with us, not as our landlord, not exacting transactions from us and saying, if you don't meet your bend of the bargain, I'm going to get you, but rather um, where God could live with us as our father in close family love. That's the beginning of the Bible. But then glance over in your imagination to the very end of the timeline, to the very end of the Bible. And at the end of the book of Revelation, there's this wonderful moment, this wonderful image where finally God's dwelling, his home, 
comes to earth. The image is of a, gr a great city. So for city people, that's quite nice. Um, a great city that comes down to earth. Uh, and and, and the, the great joy is not just that it's a great city. It's a great city, but it's not just that it's a great city. It's that God and humanity are dwelling together. And they're at home together. And the idea is that that's the culmination of history. It, the design of all creation has come to fruition. History's culminated when God and God's people live together at home. Now, keep all that in your mind and go back to our reading. Remember the scene. Jesus and his disciples, they're gathered around the table. The tension is high. Judas has left the room. Jesus knows he's about ready to be arrested. And he looks at his disciples and he says, in just a few hours, I'm going to depart. That is to say, you're going to watch me die. And in that moment, it's going to feel like I'm leaving you and abandoning you like orphans. Verse 18. But then Jesus says, that's actually not the case. That's not the meaning of the crisis you're about ready to, uh, to witness. I'm not leaving you as orphans. Rather, something almost opposite is going to occur. What's going to happen is that through this horrendous tragedy, apparent tragedy of my death, um, God is going to make his home with you, says Jesus. He says, he says disciples... Was he on the edge of a seat? Disciples, you are now going to experience that special kind of love, closeness, relationship that you only experience when God is your father and you're at home with him. And it's as if Jesus says, you know the beginning of the Bible, disciples. This is what the universe was created for. And you know the storyline of the Bible. This is what all history is moving towards. And now, says Jesus, looking at his disciples, I'm going to make sure, in fact, I'm going to give my life in order that you can experience it and taste it for yourself. It's a big statement. And it's the promise that passes to every single follower of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Um, what is it, this is one of those questions that's kind of impossible to answer. So, um, What is it that you want more than anything else? Right? It, if you're like me, you're a tangled web of desires. Right? We want all kinds of stuff. Right? Um, I don't know. I want security. That's great. Um, money would be fantastic. Um, a dog, somebody says. It's true. It's true. Guilty. Okay, I want lots of things, okay? But here's the funny thing. You know, listen, I, you know, um, I've got a lot of stuff. I've had a great life. Lots of the things that I've wanted, I've been able to enjoy. But you know what? Why is it that you can have almost everything that you want and not be satisfied? Why is that? Why is it that you can get everything that you want and still your focus is, I want something else? We're never satisfied. Why? Well, it's a complex question. But the Bible, that big storyline of the Bible, gives us some insight into why. Because the big, the big storyline of the Bible would say, underneath all those surface desires that drive your decisions, underneath that there's a deeper desire. The desire to be loved and to love with infinite 
perfection. And that if you, you're designed for that love, and if you gain that love, then that's where real, eternal satisfaction comes, and it, it, it'll permeate the rest of your life. But on the other hand, a lot of us uh, hear that, and there's part of us that kind of go, <laughs> cynical. Nah, I bet that's not true. And if you go back to the big storyline of the Bible, we find out that one of the reasons why we have this kind of a reflexive cynicism when we hear about that kind of a thing is that, I mean, all of us have had relationships that have disappointed us in one way or another, and we're cautious. Now, the story of Jesus is that God in Christ gives everything that he is, his life, to give us that love that we desire but have never tasted. So new members, new partners at Emmanuel, that is the gift that Jesus is always giving you. And those of you who are not Christians, who are just kind of thinking about it, that's the gift that Jesus holds out on offer. Now, the second question is, how does this motivate I said that this motivates the whole Christian life. How does it happen? Well, let me show you in particular how it motivates obedience. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, let's play word association game. Um, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about commandments? The word, commands. Delight. <laughs> or Duty. Dower. Oppression. Jesus gives this completely different vision than what normally comes to our minds. Obedience for Jesus is driven by love. Did you think it was duty? For a Christian who is enjoying this new home life with God through Christ... Obedience is just the normal thing we do when that love for Christ and that sense of the Father's love is increasing. It's just the normal thing that we do. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. Um, I used to not like classical music. It's not that I didn't like it. It's that I didn't care. Then I met this girl. I met this girl, Amber. And um, I wanted a date. And uh, so the best way to do that is to go to concerts because she liked classical music. And over time, Amber's my wife, by the way, just <laughs> resolving any weird tension that might be rising. Um, and as my uh, love for Amber increased, it was natural for my interest in classical music to increase. There's something about as relationships grow closer, there's a synchronization very often of interest and passion and pursuit. Now, bring that back to verse 15. Because Christians obey Jesus because we love him. Because he has loved us. You, you find yourself um, saying, listen, Jesus has given everything for me. He gave his life for me. 
And he gave his life in order to bring me into the Father's house. And Jesus, when I look at him and what he's done, he's just earned my love. And therefore, it's intuitive, increasingly intuitive, for me to love what it is that he loves. And therefore, obeying him just makes a lot of sense. Now, pause. Because my guess is that some of us hear that and it kind of resonates. You think, yeah, that, yeah. That shape, that, that, that describes my story. But then some of us will listen to that and just kind of go, what? Totally foreign. Why? Go back to the big timeline. So we talked about the beginning of the timeline, talked about the end of the timeline, but right in the middle, right in the middle, there's a big, tragic story of us being outside God's house. There's a big story of us being estranged from God, not abandoned by God, but rather um, we in every generation, every generation of humanity, every single individual has said no to God in different ways. And so we find ourselves, so to speak, outside the house. It's, it's a little bit like we're, um, we're, we're unaccompanied minors, imagine. Imagine we're orphans. And we've never known what it is to be in a healthy family. Some of us don't have to imagine that. And we find ourselves outside the house, and we walk up to a house, and we look through the window, and through the window, we kind of peek through, and we can see this healthy family in there. Maybe they're having dinner, they're, they're laughing, maybe they're playing a game. And you, you experience two things witnessing this at the same time. On the one hand, you're attracted, you have this desire. You desire to be inside, but on the other hand, on the other hand, there's something about it that frightens you. There's something about it that repels you. There's something about it that says, oh, I can't trust that. Now, that's how all of us are with respect to God, naturally. Because on the one hand, we desire intimacy with him. That, that, that desire for love underneath all of our other desires, fundamentally, that was made for to be satisfied in God, and, and, it's, and so it, that desire is raging inside us. But on the other hand, God is very foreign to us, and we spend all our lives going, at, at, at arm's distance, or maybe let me run. And so we find ourselves at best, peeking through a window. But then, that storyline, then um, the door opens, and and Jesus comes out, and he comes out to find us. And he comes up to us, and he takes us by the hand, and he says something almost like, verse 18, I have not intended you to be an orphan. I come to you. Which is to say, I have given my life to give you this house. And then taking us by the hand, and with a kind smile, he leads us into the house. And and inside the house, we find it a surprisingly safe place. And there we begin to trust him. And that trust soon transforms into love for him. And as that love grows and we take our place within the family, we find out that obeying him used to frighten us, but now it delights us because we're satisfied and we're enjoying that increasingly close relationship with Jesus. Where are you at with that story? 
And I expect that some of us uh, have considered ourselves, uh, you know, Christians, and, but yet there's a way in which we're still, we realize we're still outside peeking in the window. Or maybe you know you're not a Christian. You're peeking in outside the window. Then others of us are inside, but man, we've got about this much trust. <laughs> and our eyes are always darting toward the door, and we're tempted to bolt. Let me show you another gift in this reading. Looking at the same thing from a different perspective. Verse 16. Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Um, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. He's promising the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit, think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is the one, when Jesus comes out, comes up to us and says, come on in. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to look at Jesus and say, oh yes, he can be trusted. Oh, yes, the things I have heard about Jesus are true. He's the one who allows us to see um, that we've been running away from him. And he's the one that allows us to say, yes, okay, I'm going to allow him to take me by the hand and lead me in. And then when you're in the house, he's the one who keeps your eyes focused upon Jesus and you find yourself... Keep finding again and again that Jesus proves trustworthy and he's the one who increasingly binds you in trust and then in love to Jesus Christ and always bringing him into sharper focus. So he's a wonderful gift for those of us who don't think that we can trust or don't think that we can believe. It is the spirit of truth that gives us a faith that we cannot generate ourselves. So where are you at in the story? And the question is not just, are you in or are you out? That's too easy. No, the question is, where are you moving? What's your trajectory? Are you in the house and walking, so to speak, more deeply into it and into the love and closeness and intimacy that Jesus has on offer? Or are you starting to look at the door rather than at Jesus? And are you starting to think about bolting? Or are you somewhere in between? And part of why I say this is because you've got to see in this text that Jesus is looking at you saying, ask me, ask me for help. Do you see that in verse 14? If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus has this wonderful way of inviting us to prayer. He says, listen, I am not stingy. Ask, says Jesus. Anything? Well, yeah. But put it in context again, because what is it that we need most? To be loved and to love. What is it that Jesus wants to give us most? That home relationship with God as Father. And that's why when you pray... When Christians pray, prayer is always less about getting God to give us stuff that we want at that surface level desire. I mean, that's fine. We pray those prayers. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. That's fine. But Christian prayer is always aimed at that deeper desire that we would know 
Christ and trust him more, that we would know the joy of that, even in the midst of sorrow. And that is the prayer life that Jesus is inviting you to. For some of you, that is the next step in your Christian life, is it? And by the way, this is an aside, sidebar, sidebar. One of the reasons we print these, I mean, we print these partially so that we can literally sing from the same hymn sheet, but we also print these so that you can take them home, use them in the week, so that it can, they can kind of tutor us in how to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, so that each day you can ask Jesus, Give me more of the spirit of truth and take me deeper into what it means to live at home with your father. So, Emmanuel, uh, we're not just a religious organization. We are a partnership. We want to partner together with Jesus Christ, and he is always taking us closer to his father. That's where he wants to take us. It's where he's taking you now. And it's the thing that motivates our obedience. It's the thing that is the target of our prayer. And just one last thing. It's also the great joy of mission. Verse 12, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And we don't have time to unpack exactly what the greater works might be, but... Let me just, we can talk about it later. But let me just point out this. Jesus, part of being at home with Jesus, is partnering with him in his pursuit. Doing his works with him. What are his works? Well, he gave his life to give you his love. And then he sends us out as ambassadors. Wonderful privilege to go and to invite people who are outside the house and running away. Invite them and tell them, God has not left you as an orphan, but he has called you into his, into his home and he has sought you out. There is something about describing the beauty of Jesus Christ and describing who Jesus is in this wonderful home life that he invites us into that is the most Glorious privilege that a Christian can experience. Do you know what I mean? If you have ever had the experience of describing Jesus to someone who cannot yet see his beauty and then watching them begin to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and then watching them and walking with them as they enter the house and become a member of the family of God, if you have had that experience, then you know the unmitigated joy that that is and the wonderful privilege of being a part of the culmination of history in that person's life. And friends, if you think that that's not what Jesus has invited you into, then your life is boring compared to what it can be. We're partners. We've got a wonderful home. Join. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmanuel Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jim Saladin, the minister here. At Emmanuel, we seek to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City and ultimately the world. We rely on the generous giving of people like you. Consider supporting our ministries at www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com 
slash give.